I'm Lorna Slater, co-leader of the Scottish Green Party. Hi, I'm I'm Red Claire Hamilton Russell. I am the comms officer, the comms convener for the Disabled Green Working Group and a dis- disability activist and blogger. Thank you so much, Red, for joining me on this podcast today. So this is another one of our podcasts from lock- lockdown. <laughs> so Red and I are recording in different parts of Scotland. Uh, we're getting used to doing all this sort of conference call and, and Zoom calls and stuff, aren't we? Yep, I think it's absolutely wonderful. But uh, wonderful, though, I, I know it's... I think everybody's certainly picking up technical skills they never expected to. It's wonderful. <laughs> I've been enjoying watching the kind of Zoom call fails, people who only have the top half of their clothes on or (laughs) their partner walks past in their pants in the background. Oh, I think those are absolutely wonderful. They're really good, obviously, because children and pets are at home with people. So you get so many. I I came across a brilliant Twitter anecdote where someone kind of said, you they know that their small daughter is going to be a, a future Internet star because right in the middle of a very serious conversation, she leapt out into the middle of it, pulled her top up, drummed in her tummy and shout, and, shout, and shouted a number of choice words that she did not think she knew at that time. So it's like, uh, yeah, future Internet stardom, right? there already so that's fantastic i haven't had any interesting pet ones but we did we had a, a, a lothian region campaign meeting the other week and they were a lot of shaved heads some of them a little bit alarming quite honestly well to be fair i mean i'm really impressed that they managed to source clippers to be honest i've been trying to source them on the internet for about three weeks and not got anywhere but um i'm fairly sure quite a lot of them represent that people have tried um, to do home less extreme haircuts and they've come out so badly they've just looked at them and just gone no no burn down to the ground start again it's <laughs> It's I, it's the only thing I've been, I've literally no I've been literally sitting there looking at my own and just um, failing at the plunge every single time. So I, I'm hope, I'm probably going to end up with a huge with um, a huge pleat or something by the end of it. But that's what I'm working on. I'm working on my Rapunzel tangled pleat. I'll be able to like lasso people with it by the end of this. So. Um, the reason I've invited you on the podcast today is to talk about the Scottish Greens representative group, the Disabled Greens. Can you tell us a bit about that representative group? Well, we are pro- uh, we've probably fallen a little bit behind. The general idea of working groups is that because the Green Party is a, grass- a grassroots um, party as opposed to one with top-down control imposed, the idea being that people who have a sort of particular a particular common interest and a particular common so I'm I'm trying to think of a word that sounds better that or that sounds less um probably very political that political than common oppression but it's a good but it's the it's the well it's the important part people who people who are commonly disadvantaged in a particular way so obviously they've got the um, the women's network and the disabled working group and the young greens as well and rainbow greens so um Disabled Green has its own particular problem, of course, that um, a great many of us are chronically ill or um, mobility impaired or a variety of other issues that makes it particularly hard for us to get us to get out and be active with things. So, um, but we do our best, and um, we keep, and I think we have, I think we've turned the corner on things a little, at least on getting things on a bit, getting things on a more even footing. So, um, hopefully, we're getting there now. I really appreciate you joining me on this podcast today. What has it been like as a disabled person during this coronavirus crisis? Well, honestly, 
I genuinely feel quite guilty saying this and even thinking it, but to be honest, it's improved my life immeasurably right now, um, which which sounds terrible to say, but I mean, obviously you've still got, I mean, obviously disabled people have the same issues as everyone else and that there's obviously, some that obviously um, we're worried about, we're worried about illness for ourselves, our partners, the people we love, we're worried for the general public and we've had some of the same issues with sourcing things that we need and everything. And for many disabled people, obviously there's been huge issues particularly people who have not been able to not been able to well, particularly if people are isolated there's been huge issues with social care packages being cut for people who depend on that again particularly people who don't have family close by or who don't have partners but um, I'm afraid for me it's been absolutely wonderful for me this means that um, um, my I've, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and, um, and POTS as well as various neurodiversities including autism and um, ADHD so, um, but my biggest issues are with chronic pain, chronic fatigue and mobility issues. So usually I, I tend to, um, I, ha I don't have any children, but I do have a dog. So I spend a lot of time um, managing my way through. Um, I'm a freelance writer and um, proofreader. So I usually spend most of my time either working from bed, trying to handle housework or wrangling my dog. So um, usually by the end of the day, I am utterly exhausted. And my husband, I do manage to access PIP, but not ESA. So my personal income is very limited. Um, so my husband largely supports us and um, he works quite long hours as an accountant to do that. So usually most of the time when I get to sit by the time that he comes home in the evening most of us are exhausted whereas at the moment he's working from home he's managing his own time very effectively we get to see so much of each other and he can actually support me physically around the house so I've had so I mean I've only had four days where I've been unable to get out of bed since this began which has been transformative for me usually I'm stuck in bed several days a week just out of sheer fatigue so um, he's also able this mean he's been able to help me get out um, I only have access to an NHS wheelchair because I can't afford a, a custom one so it's I mean and it's great I really you know obviously I massively appreciate that but I can do so much more when he can push me in it and um, We've just, even just in terms of being able to get out and about within our um, just even for our lockdown walks are still far more than I usually manage. Usually, I'm pretty much stuck in the garden or very much, or in the few hundred meters around our house. So, um, and on top of that, obviously, the rise in online socialising has been incredible for me. I mean, I've been able to get involved with. Um, I am a member of um, my local LGBT health and wellbeing. So, um, which. I am a, I'm a main member of a disabled group there, which is fantastic. But um, being able to, and I mean, this is with all the accommodations that they can give you, with transport, with um, with free transport, with accessible transport. It's still I can do so much more with a forty-five or two-hour Zoom meeting, forty-five minute or two-hour Zoom meeting, than I can usually. Usually, travel to a meeting and back, and being there physically wipes me out for two days. Whereas, um, if I'm attending a meeting. You know, um, usually, but a meeting in the exact same way that I'm doing now from like from my bedroom means that um, I'm it means that I can actually do something with the rest of my day. I can work. I can, um, I can get on with whatever. I can get on with work for the Greens or whatever actions I've got from that meeting. It's um, and the fact that I've been able to actually actively socialise with people. Usually, any socialising we do is very limited to. We we do make it out very occasionally, but the majority of the time we're limited to friends friends who are willing to come to to put them themselves out enough to come to our house this way um 
I'm an enormous geek, so I have three. I I am I'm role playing with three different groups of people by Discord at the moment. It's wonderful. It's more like direct in person interaction than I usually get in months. It's just so lovely to hear a positive news story. I've done so many podcasts recently and with really lovely people, but they've all been a bit depressing. <laughs> it's nice to hear a lovely story. No, nice I mean, I genuinely I feel so bad. I'm so pleased for you. That must be transfor- transformative. It is genuinely transformative for me. It's honestly being able, to have, like, being able to have all this, like, personal time with my partner when we're not both exhausted and struggling under our commitments is incredible you know um, and the fact that we're the fact that we're both more productive um, I'm really really dead really really dedicated to supporting urban food growing like supporting people to grow to uh, to rewild their own spaces and to grow food in their own spaces just in gardens or whatever local space um, with his help obviously I've been very limited on it. I sometimes have my mum's help, but she also is is also physically disabled. Again, with my husband's help, the two of us, we have transformed our front garden in which we're rewilding. So we currently we now we have planted a living a living a living fence from willow trees. We have created we've dug a pond. He's done all the heavy work. I've been able to do. I've been able to actually. I've been able to do the the sort of um, the smaller tasks. Um, and we've now set up. We've been we've been setting up makeshift raised beds in our back garden, and we have all. All sorts of we have a huge amount of food that we've been able to do I mean, it's all it's very guerrilla gardening but I mean this year it's the sort of thing you it's the sort of thing you dream about really you know I think it's the sort of thing I used to when I was able to work full-time it's the sort of thing I used to dream about when I was stuck in an office now it's the sort of thing I dream about when I'm exhausted and unable to get out of bed and my husband dreams about when he's stuck in the office so it's been very very positive for us and again I've been able to talk about I've been able to talk to I've, I've been able to start a Facebook support group about getting about um, supporting people to grow their own food, uh, their own food just in their homes or at their homes and gardens. Um, I've been able to start up a network of guerrilla gardeners and talk to people about rewilding their gardens. It's been, it's it's honestly, it's been this, I feel very bad because obviously so many people are having such a bad time as we even on, on top of the people who are seriously ill and dying. But for me, in a purely personal sense, it's been ridiculously positive. There's been a lot of uh, sort of, eye-rolling chat about how frustrating it is. I mean, it's good, but it's frustrating that, you know, disabled people have been saying for years, can't we work remotely, please? Can't we please have remote access to meetings so we can fully participate? And everyone's kind of gone, yeah, 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 well, you know, oh, it's hard. Uh, And then pandemic hits, suddenly all the able-bodied people need to work remotely and magic, magic, everybody can work from home. Yep. (laughs) How do you feel about that? My main hope, my main, the main thing I feel about it is, if it then goes backwards once this is done, that's when you know that that's a very that's a very of Arya dies we riot moment. I think if that if people still try and <laughs> if people try and pull that on it, if people try and pull that sort of thing. And obviously, I mean, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't quite as simple as that. Obviously, a lot of people um, suffered. A lot of people had. I mean, it was it. You know, were able. A lot of people were were able to access particular funds because of the because of the level it was involved in. There were economies of scale that were going on with purchasing things, um, and obviously, there has been a lot of people that um, haven't been able to work as successfully from home as they've wished. But if nothing else, I think this has really proven that how much of that was well frankly 
frankly people thinking that it wasn't really necessary which is obviously the obviously the giant issue that there's there's always been such a huge issue that um requests for accessibility have been people who can't be bothered you know what that's it's always been it's it's such an enormous problem you know behind the sort of a well if you really cared about this you would put in the effort if you really cared about this you would do it you know the fact the idea that people are doing it for people are looking for accessibility for convenience rather than need it's obviously been a huge issue that we have to deal with. Um, but, and on top of it, a lot of it's been technophobia as well. Just the idea that people, you know, especially, I, I will say something slightly controversial and say a lot of it has involved, I think, older managers who've, been not, who've not been willing to grapple with the technology, who've now been forced to. I can, talk, I can only um, cite my own dad as an example there as someone who... <laughs> I will not name him. Not name him in case he in case he ends up listening to this. But um, he obviously he's someone who's I don't I don't mean that he's denied anyone the opportunity to do it for that, but purely someone who I know was very frightened of engaging with the the complex the complexities of technology. Who has now been massively converted to both Zoom and Microsoft Teams within the last month magically. You know he's actually. He's, no, please please go ahead. Sorry, it it sh it shows the complexity though of doing these kind of transitions because I know some neurodivergent people who find Zoom calls extremely stressful because they get even f autistic people who get even fewer clues about um, emotional states and social behaviors via Zoom and so they have to spend that much more of their energy just to be able to coherently participate in the meeting. The tech technology can be a barrier for older people, uh, for, for poor people. It, 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 it's really difficult. My, so my mom, uh, before she retired, was a teacher of hearing impaired children for oh many years, 40 years or something. And she talks about universal design, how when something is designed well, it works for everybody. And that, so she, the example that she uses is like ramps up on, down onto sidewalks. Sorry, I'm North American. Up and down <laughs> the pavements. Um, because that means that, yes, a person who is wheeling can wheel themselves up, but it also means someone pushing a pushchair, someone dragging a trolley or a suitcase behind them. Actually, a ramp works better for everybody, and it means that everybody then has access to get, you know, to walking around in a city or town. So I wonder if there's still some steps that we need to take to make, I guess, access to work universal, sort of universal access or universal design to improve these things. My, th this is me kind of venturing off into my nerd land. So I work in technology and mm -hmm. I always think that someone's going to make a lot of money who can create the first proper virtual reality meeting space where instead of seeing you as just a little square on a screen and getting only those minimal cues where we could be in the same space and get a lot more physical. So I'm autistic as well and it helps me to get physical cues. I, I it's really nice to be able to see you and communicate with you. Yes. Being able to see a little bit more of you. Um, so I, th there's something around that, around I can see that the technology is a genuine barrier for some people, as well as, as I say, so there's some different neurodivergences find it more or less easy. Um, and some people, I think, just struggle to be stuck in their house all day. I'm one of these people. I'm, I'm a kind of indoor cat. I, I'm quite <laughs> happy to be inside my house working, but that doesn't work for everybody. I mean, it's been kind of hilarious for me since obviously my, yet again, almost, unlike almost everyone else, my experience of the lockdown has been I've been outside more um, purely because I've had like more aid from my husband. But um, I am definitely more of an indoor cat that way. I'm 
very, very, ha- I am very, very happy. I do much better without in, like, working in my own space, without having to deal with um, the impositions of space in other people. But I do know other people, even other autistic people who can be very, who definitely feed on other people's energy more. You know, so I guess that one, I think that, again, that's maybe more of a fundamental contradiction in styles. Um, I can absolutely get the point of universal design, though it does make me a little weary in that um, there's the inevitable phenomenon of access clash. You know, the, you know, which we're kind of already covering a bit there. The fact that obviously, you know, Zoom meetings are so much better for people like myself who are primarily primarily housebound, but or certainly to find we are far more able to operate um, when we're primarily home based. But um, obviously, there's other people that other people that it's much less much you know less accessible to. But and the kind of one of the main principles of accessibility is that it has to be personalised. You know that again. Access clusters is an inevitable phenomenon, and you try your best to work it out. You know what? You try your best to have as many solutions available as possible, so that people can, so that they're easily available for people to work out, and even a sort, and even a willingness to embrace what makes something work for one person. You know, or whichever person is most material at any given time. But I do absolutely understand you, and I do think that makes a really important point. Obviously, that so many like so many human rights that we take quite for granted have been quite driven by campaigners for access of some kind or another. You know, obviously it's very notable that I notice it for trains in particular. Um, when I do travel to see people, obviously I'm unable to drive because of pots. So I tend, you know, if I'm not able to get a lift, I travel almost exclusively by train and it's a horrendous experience if you're a wheelchair user you know it's very they're so very inaccessible it's very dependent on a heavy amount of aid and input from the, from train staff that's not always available or not always very good when it is when it is given so obviously that's that's a circumstance where and obviously I see so many other other train users who maybe wouldn't consider themselves disabled who are still struggling with this very inaccessible design. So that's much like, much like the example you gave, obviously, where, you know, I think if there was an extending ramp for trains, then that would be so much more accessible for so many people, including the many people with luggage who travel on trains, you know. But- that's such a good point. Something that I'm hoping is going to be a positive development is this space for distancing, which we're now starting to see in Scotland's city where it looks like we're going to try and put out temporary barriers and stuff during the lockdown to reclaim some of the streets because traffic has reduced by about 75% to allow more space for walking and wheeling and cycling. So uh, obviously as Greens, we're hoping we can keep some of that stuff. We can make arguments that this is a better use of the space, that it makes it more accessible to more people. That it, you know, I, I mean, there's all there's so many different barriers to this. You know, in Edinburgh, one of the things I feel strongly about is the air quality because I I tend to walk to work when I'm going into the office, and I walk through some of the most polluted streets in the UK, and I actually prefer walking when it's raining because that's how bad the air quality is. But it's a little bit cleaner when it's raining, so I'm really hoping that this sort of space for distancing measures will improve will improve access. Do you how do you feel about that? I hope so. It's a lot like the sort of clean air quality, you know, the sort of um, certainly I know Glasgow and I think Edinburgh may have already or be planning to bring some to bring in something about banning cars from most of the city centre at some point. The emission, the low emission zones. Um, I've obviously this is a bit complicated because um, I 
as a green, as as an environmentalist, I'm massively in favour in that, but I do know it can be a real barrier to accessibility. Um, one of the things I'm quite keen in trying to get the disabled greens behind in particular is the idea that um, to try and extend accessibility schemes going alongside um, alongside um, low emission zones. I'm very keen on the idea that um, if you can provide, basically if you can provide bikes which are obviously a quite a key part of most of the, you know, the public access bikes, um, which you obviously, which you access easily using a card or something. I'm very keen for the idea, and I'd like to try and get the Greens behind the idea that wherever there's low emission zones, we try and extend some sort of accessibility scheme alongside it. I'd be very keen for electric scooters or even to even um, tr even tricycles. You know, once again, it is something that would benefit more people than it, the people who would benefit most would be people like myself who are ambulatory or entirely wheel ambulatory. Um, ambulatory wheelchair users but again there'll be a lot of people who have um, a lot of people who again would find walking long distances or cycling on a conventional bike you know very inaccessible who would suddenly find their world open up um, if they had access to you know easy electric scooters that you could hire for a couple of pounds to for a couple of hours, I think I I, I find that one of the, there's a big issue with gatekeeping in accessibility that I think really really misses the point of it. There's always seems to be a, a lot of idea that sort of oh, if, if accessibility measures are easy to access, then people will take the piss in some way. You know, people will yeah huge issue. And I'm always like this really misses the point of accessibility. You know, and it's a huge issue that um, I come about when I'm dealing with other disabled people I'm in so many groups where people come on and say I really feel I could benefit from using a walking stick or a rollator or a wheelchair but I'm really afraid that I don't really need it and you know, I'm always one of the people who sits there behind it it's like if you think if this benefits you you need it you know, you don't need to. I am an ambulatory wheelchair user. I can walk. You know, around the house, I use a, I use a crutch or a pair of crutches. But um, outside, I you know, outside for very short distances, I use a rollator. And if I'm going to be on my feet for any or going to be out for any length of time, uh, distinctly not on my feet, um, I will be using a wheelchair. So. And it's something that certainly the general public struggles with a lot. There's there's a lot of gatekeeping, like the idea that oh, you know, if you have any mobility, then you must not need a wheelchair, and therefore you must be faking or taking the piss to use one. And I'm like, one of the things I'd really I think would be ideal, I think could be potentially very sort of very positive of having this sort of thing available would be the idea that like, if this benefits you, you use it. You know, it's a it's a frustrating thing I think as well. There's a been. I, I think it's come around as part of this sort of Tory austerity chat around slackers and skyvers stuff. The idea that anybody who has trouble getting around is, is a slacker or who needs a bit of help is is a skyver. And uh, there's been some horrendous incidences. One uh, one of your fellow disabled greens, uh, a colleague of ours, had a terrible incident on a train where she has a disabled pass on her train pass, and the the conductor basically said. You don't look disabled to me. Like, oh, oh my God! Like that—that that is not on. You don't. You can't assess somebody's disability just by looking at them. It was horrendous. It's just such a common experience, though, when you're disabled. I mean, I've had the same. I've had the same issue that, um, you know, I I use aids, so I get less of an issue with people saying, "Oh, you don't look disabled." But I mean, I've had it before. I've, I had. I was once stopped by a man who started spitting abuse at me because he's like, "You're walking to," you know, "You're because I was walking." faster than he judged a disabled person would be would walk with a cane so you know he, so he literally just started spitting abuse with me and telling that I was obvious I was I'm obviously faking it for the benefits of course at that time I was at that oh the hugely generous benefits yeah you that must are so be easy to access yes 
Uh, no, it's, and it's it's that whole chat. It's that kind of conversation where we sort of dehumanize people, and even the the government's own in the Department of Work and Pensions making making having these sort of tests of how how does are you sufficiently disabled to get this pittance that we're going to give you? Yep. It's it's horrendous. It's dehumanizing. It's um, it must add a huge amount of mental and physical strain when when you don't need that. You know, I've been through several of them now, and I honestly, you know, I had ended up with really severe suicidal ideation from the first one, which is, of course, the point behind it. Because when oh, people, that's when, horrendous! You, I can't believe that's. The, I, I don't want to believe that. that like, it, but, I don't want to believe that that's the point. But it's so. But it so clearly is. I mean, the sheer fact. I mean, the the level of questioning you go through. If you mention you're depressed, the first thing they ask you is, "So why you? Why haven't you killed yourself yet?" You know, it's. Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah. First thing that's not like, okay. Yeah, it, it is. It is literally what it's literally what you expect from them. It's the first, you know, and this. I mean, this was an orthopedic nurse asking me this. I'm like, you know, I'm literally sitting there going, "Are you asking me? Like, are you asking me why I haven't killed myself?" And I'm like, because, uh, like, because I because despite having suicidal ideation, I don't actually want to die. Are you aware that there is a difference between these two concepts? It's like it is. It's very. It is. It's just what they expect. They they do everything possible to make someone loathe themselves enough just not to not to challenge them. It's entirely about breaking down someone's self-image, self-will, self you know, self-esteem, everything That's that will horrendous. everything that will make someone shut up and sit down and accept what they're given it is it's a truly horrifying process and one i would genuinely not i would genuinely not wish it on my worst enemy i wouldn't wish it on dominic cummings is the level of it you know and that is someone who i uh, who i would wish a lot of things on (laughs) that takes us neatly though to why we need more disabled people in politics yes um so i think there are a lot of reasons why i mean obvious one is that i think politics benefits from a diversity of points of view you know we need we need disabled politicians for the same reason we need um politicians of color why we need male female non-binary non-binary trans trans politicians why we need gay gay lesbian and bisexual politicians um first of all you know once again, I mentioned I mentioned I'm a gigantic geek, so I will briefly quote Star Trek and say the beauty of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. You know that is these are all ways of being human, and you know so they're always so that's and you know and politics is the ultimate human art. So that is, you know, so there should be there should be politicians of all type. But obviously, the the most obvious reason is that um, because the nature of privilege is that people do, is that people massively underestimate or worse yet completely fail to conceptualize um, problems that they haven't got direct experience of you know so i mean we, we notice it so much obviously with the with um the fact of very privileged politicians at the moment the sheer fact that they have no idea you know the fact that they think it's perfectly normal to claim expenses for a breakfast that a disabled person is expected to live on for a week is the sort of is the level of it you know the the fact that they are and they then feel you know feel it's appropriate to tell people living right on people living right on the edge of poverty that it's due to their poor money management skills it is you know it, but and you can tell that a significant amount of the I mean a significant amount of the issue is that they don't want to know that they talk people that they talk themselves you know they have a they have a very small curated circle where they keep talking these ideas around because they're convenient but 
part of it is sheer privilege. You know, they have never, you know, we currently have in Westminster a huge number of politicians who can who are completely incapable of conceptualizing the lives of the majority of their constituents so we need disabled politicians because disabled people because they represent disabled people and they should be able to conceptualize the lives of their disabled constituents they should be able to understand what it's like to face ableism in a very ableist world they should know what it's like to um, live in a world that is physically very hostile to your experience you know they should know what it's like to um, go to a lawyer's office and be unable be literally unable to get into it so you have to sign private do- private documents standing outside in the st- standing and sitting in a wheelchair outside in the street or have someone or have multiple professionals um, make whose offices are inaccessible make the make the claim to you oh we could just meet in a cafe you know as if that's because cafes are really accessible famously especially in edinburgh well to be fair even more the idea that you know it's completely reasonable that you would want to discuss your private your private affairs in a starbucks you know that the idea that this is that this is somehow perfectly reasonable it's a it's a huge issue you know that but as soon as you know but the idea being you know whenever i mention this idea to know to um, abled people they are shocked Largely because I think I think the vast majority of able so, people um, think the situation is better than it is. Most people simply cannot get their heads around the idea of how awful the situation is until they've actually known personally someone and observed them dealing with it, if not dealt with it themselves. So that is why I think we need poli- we need disabled politicians because they can conceptualise directly the lives of their disabled and their abled constituents. You know, more people. Disability isn't a protect. It's it's a protected char- um, characteristic, but it's not one that people are put into at birth. It's not. It's not like race. You know, disability is something that people cross in and out of at various points in their lives. People become ill, so they become temporarily disabled and then may become more abled again. People can suffer an accident. People can suffer an illness. You know, I thought I always knew I was neurodivergent, but I thought that I was physically perfectly abled until I was nearly 30. It's a real, you know, it is, it is it always, in a way, it always surprises me that people are so awful to disabled people because it just takes one accident or one illness then for you to suddenly be in that position but then I realised how many people suffer from the just world fallacy and believe it will never happen to them so that's a really interesting thing yeah what, what you've said there people you're right it could be any of us any at any time hmm. and what what are the specific barriers that disabled people pay, play yeah can't try that again <laughs> what are the specific barriers that disabled people face when trying to get involved in politics uh, so there's really myriad ones um number one even at, even at the most basic grassroots levels level a lot of venues where political events are held are inaccessible you know that is a huge a huge issue that a lot of our pub you know so many of our public buildings are victorian and any accessibility measures that have been added at all are shoddy and not really fit for purpose you know it's a real issue with public halls in particular that a lot of them are just very inaccessible 
Um, I've been to hustings where the stage is up steps and that was it. Well, and that's like, it. Well, we can that's carry another... you. And people are like, I don't want you to carry me. You're not tr- trained to yep. carry me. What? Yep. <laughs> that's not okay. Sure. Well, that's another whole issue. There are even, there's a lot of places, a lot of venues describe themselves as accessible when they're accessible to the audience, but not to people addressing the crowd. There's a real, it's a really serious problem for leadership positions. They, you know, anything that um, even, th- you know, almost everywhere that thinks about accessibility measures thinks about it for the audience, you know, for the passive role for the audience they don't think about it for the active role for the, the person leading a discussion or addressing a crowd or even or performing is a huge issue you know even just not one that particularly relates to pol- to politics particularly but you know there are disabled people the most people in the disabled people are just as capable of Performing for leading political parties for all sorts of things as everything as everything else, but our physical spaces are very hostile to that. You know the sheer thing. I try and hold. You know, whenever I'm trying to organise events of any kind, I try not. I try and access accessible venues, and the sheer number of venues that are not is truly horrifying. And again, it's something you need to have personal experience of to realise the the extent of how bad it really is. Um, and how can we in the Greens, so in the, within the Scottish Green Party, we're about to hold some internal elections. So some some of our internal party posts are up for re-election this year so on some of our national committees and some representative groups and that kind of thing. Uh, obviously, we'd love to have more disabled representation on our internal organisation. What, what can we as a party do to support more disabled people participating? Uh, well, number one, obviously, um, offering more things as remote working is, that's a definite one. Luckily, at the moment that is not a problem but by and large which is fantastic so keeping up with that level of participation um, once the lockdown measures are you know once they're once they're relaxed and after the, all of this is finally over is probably number is probably a number one way though of course that does run into some accessibility clash measures as you as you've already observed especially if people um, if, if people are if people are dependent on sign language it can be a real issue or people use sign language it can be a real issue obviously because you know the when you're only showing head and shoulders and and BSL is a very whole body language so that can be a real limitation but it, as a number it's still probably the number one thing that makes this most accessible to more disabled people than anyone else um on top of that um I know that there can be a real there can be quite a culture in the party and um, obviously most people in the greens are probably still professional people i know we're searching for more representation amongst more working class people but i think there is quite a lot of there's definitely quite an idea that if you're not able to be not able to be very active if you've got like, like very active and particularly in campaigning if you're not able to knock on doors and mm-hmm. um, there's definitely a definitely a feeling that there that definitely limits you i think um, I, I think more i think more emphasis on the idea that people can be really active even if they're not able to undertake all the traditional the traditional activities would be really the traditional activities of activists would be really really positive um, I think more fund I think more funding for things like accessible travel and accessibility measures like um, employing um, employing personal carers or assistance of any of any level would certainly be helpful you know for people to be able to tra- for people to be able to travel to meetings in wheelchair accessible vehicles for people to be able to bring along a sign a sign language interpreter um, and personal care if they need that as well would definitely be those would definitely be huge measures that would improve accessibility to these to these kind of posts for disabled people I think fantastic well it's been lovely speaking with you today Claire uh, so red and it's just 
brilliant to hear some of your ideas and, and a positive story about the lockdown. <laughs> It's always, like I said, I, feel, I do feel very guilty about it knowing the, the national crisis, but it is, I'm also enjoying it because there's never so much, it's, it's not rare for things to be easier for me than it is for other people. So I'm enjoying that opportunity while I can. 